Hey, Pete. Hey, Aaron. Don't you dare. Like what I got, but baby, don't test me. Don't Put test a me. towel down, cause the swag is messy. It's now messy. I'ma tell you what I'm about to do. I'm skeet, skeet, skeet. Also, Boosh. Quotes from the show. Hey, Pete. Quotes from the show I made you watch. Hey, we're uh, Aaron and Pete. Normally, our day jobs are super boring. Our night jobs are super interesting to Peter and I, where we host a podcast called We Love to Watch. It's a movie podcast um, where we cover movies. Usually, there's a theme. I forget. I'm not hosting that show right now. Uh, I'm hosting this show, which is... baby. I'm off the clock. This This is is our twilight time job. (laughs) I'm not even using a microphone. (laughs) That's what I do when I'm on the clock and I'm off it. <laughs> I had to actually hide a microphone in your house to get you to record this. <laughs> the CIA is bugging me everywhere. <laughs> They're turning the frogs gay, Peter. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, this is a spin-off podcast we do occasionally where, you know, Peter and myself have been friends for years now. Uh, and sometimes we've seen things that the other one hasn't. We're like, hey, I got a great idea. Watch that thing. Listen to this thing. Read this thing. And the other one goes, well, <laughs> I don't think so. My free time is precious. What are you going to do? Make a podcast about it? And, oh, we made a podcast about it. So, yeah, last week I played through the 2016 um, remake, reimagining of Ratchet and Clank. Uh, and I dared Peter to watch a show that I loved quite a bit uh, when it came out in 2006, and then the second season came out in 2008. It only had 25 episodes, uh, and it's kind of a footnote in Adam Reed's uh, history, because he's now done 10 seasons of Archer. 12. Yeah, it has definitely become something else, uh, which was kind of the same thing. So I got to know Adam Reed because uh, in college uh, – I, like, came of age. <laughs> I went to college. I was a freshman in college in the 2001-2002 when stuff like C-Lab and Frisky Dingo – or, sorry, C-Lab and Aqua Teen Hunger Force and a bunch of other those Adult Swim shows started really catching on. And then there was other subsequent ones that were really good, like Harvey Birdman in those first couple years. And so – and the one that I liked the most – I know this isn't um, the most popular – was C-Lab. Uh, 2021 because it started as kind of a we're going to use this animation but we're going to be silly and then I felt like it became a really weird bizarre thing and I'm not just saying bizarre because there's an episode where they meet the people from the bizarro universe and uh, the only thing the bizarro people do is just yell bizarro the, bizarro one of the most annoying episodes of television I've ever witnessed do you, so you don't like that episode <laughs> I, I touch you not I fucking love that episode. I mean, I would have it loved it so... if I were 13 when I watched it, but I watched it when I was like 24, and it did not work for me. <laughs> so it worked for me when I was probably like 19. Okay. So maybe it would have worked. It just – it also was like – so I was a – this is about the time I was getting into Mr. Show too. Mr. Show's not really anti-comedy or anything like that, but it, as a comedy nerd, someone who – of it. The alt-comedy movement and those figures laid the, laid the seeds of, of uh, challenging what the established norms of, of punchline yeah. are. Yeah, and, and, and this and felt – How awkward and this, you could be and what your sort yeah. of approach to production value could be. So, yeah, I mean, it's part of the conversation. 
Yeah, and I was like obsessed with the BBC office. I was I showed it to all my friends. Like I was really interested in the fact as like a comedy nerd in in junior high and high school. Um, you know, like like the kind of a person who like would sneak into his basement, and steal like my parents' three inch TV, which used to be a thing. It's called the portable television, and watch like Saturday Night Live just so I could see Norm Macdonald stuff when I was like eleven and twelve. And like I really liked that. And so yeah, the Adult Swim shows and some of that other stuff around that time was like it just wasn't like anything I had ever seen. And so yeah, C Lab twenty twenty one kind of. With its long, awkward pauses, its uh, characters that didn't seem to ever be speaking the same language to each other, um, and and like a consistency only in their own lack of consistency in a lot of ways, or their one like character hook. I really liked it, and so uh, Frisky Dingo. I did miss the first season when it aired, and then um, I the second season like finished airing, and then I ended up I think buying all the seasons on iTunes. So I watched this like pretty close to watching all 25 episodes in order, but it was like right when the second season had finished up. And I remember reading like, Hey, if you haven't checked out Adam Reed's other show on adult swim that just got canceled kind of, or whatever, uh, you should go back and check it out. And I did, uh, based on how much I love C lab 2021, uh, was so bummed that it was canceled because of where it kind of ends. And then, was like, you know, day one Archer. Oh, he has another show coming out. Like, I was pretty obsessed. I was reading interviews. Like, the way that this this show left me in 2008, I'm like, what's he going to do next? Can I find these two fucking Exticles episodes somewhere, Peter? Like, I was I was uh, really into it. And then when Archer came out, I think a couple years later, I was like, so excited. Um, and I also knew who H. John Benjamin was because I'd watched the uh, show H. John Benjamin Has a Van. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. That? that was really funny. Like, I think, like, Dimitri so Martin good. and shit were in it. So, it had, like, a... No, it was not Dimitri Martin. You know who it is. Who? Uh, Nathan Fielder. Oh, you're right. You're right. Oh, no. I think John Benjamin is on was on Dimitri Martin's show on Comedy Central that came out. Like, Which wasn't so good. It was, it, was, it, was, it was like Dimitri Martin where I was like, <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, so, yeah, I was just like, I really loved this. And I, I the only other time I rewatched it is uh, for a year, my one of my brothers lived with me in St. Paul. So it would have been this 2010, been in 27. Um, I showed the whole thing to him because we have a very similar sense of humor, and he walked away loving it too. Now, as I rewatched it for this, I remember the same thing that happened to me in 2010, where I assured him it was one of the funniest shows I'd ever seen. And then as we're watching it, I'm like, no, no, it gets really funny. It's still setting up a lot of stuff. And then... By the end of it, feeling like it was so fucking funny. He thought it was so fucking funny. But the same what, – what is essentially happening is that the first season it has funny moments. But it's setting up a lot of stuff that gets way funnier, better written, better concept, better characters in the second season. So when you watch them in order, you might go, okay, we got to get through a little bit of eye-rolling stuff, a little bit of other things which we'll talk about. And then – it leaves you as like on a very, very high note, making you want more and being sad it's done. So uh, watching it from the from the perspective of talking about it really kind of codified that like the, the what I love about this show is the second season, even where 
noting that the first season is kind of necessary for what happens in the second season. But really quickly, before we get your thoughts on it, Peter, um, the reason I really liked it, and there's not at the time and why I thought it was so much different, even and a step above C-Lab 2021, is yes, it was very funny. Um, in that kind of the, his his specific sense of humor, I think, while it's evolved, the writing's gotten better. I think it's consistent between the three shows that he's done. But this was different in that it was an adult swim show that had a direct continuity. Uh, every episode followed the last one. Each season told a story. Characters were introduced, uh, met new people. It was almost uh, – which was so different where like Aqua Teen Hunger Force, you know, Shake would die every episode or something like that or blow up everyone. It was supposed to be these every 10 minutes doesn't mean anything. Like – and so that felt really different from the Adult Swim format. And then it also is one of the only shows I've ever seen that that seems to have a really strong premise in general that essentially discards it for wackiness almost immediately um and then occasionally remembers that it's supposed to be a show a superhero show about a bad guy and a villain uh the only other shows that i think do, do, that do it that well are uh one show that was on adult swim um which is uh uh both john glazer shows both delocated and john glazer loves gear which uh almost completely throw away their general premise in the first episode, after the first episode, to become these complete insane rabbit hole shows. Uh, Delocated. Have you ever seen Delocated, Peter? I have seen De- – yes, I've seen Delocated and uh, John Benjamin Loves Gear, which is somehow funnier. Yeah, but they both – I think you can probably understand why I was – tr- like that kind of concept of in Delocated, he's a guy – who uh, is going in the witness protection program, but he's wearing a ski mask, you know, in New York, and they're going to follow him on this fake adult swim reality show becomes like he, he's in a shitty apartment. His family leaves him and now he's just an idiot in a mask. And then John Laser Gloves gear is like uh, he his wife won't be on the show. His uh, assistant quits him, and then the rest is about like him trying to figure out how far he can go with actor people that be, he hires for his children. Like, both just become uh, crazy. But Frisky Dingo, I think, is the first show that I've ever seen that's like, and here's the premise. The premise is there's a guy named Killface. He's going to blow up the earth. There's a superhero called Awesome X who has robots. And you're like, okay, it's going to be that. That's going to be that Adult Swim show. It's going to be a superhero, supervillain through the prism of um, Adam Reed and Matt Thompson. In the same way, Archer is a spy show. But it becomes – I don't even know how you describe what it becomes. Like it just it just constantly forgets that it's that and then has the characters interact in, in crazy ways. And then the second season is uh, attempt to blow up the earth actually solves global warming and you have uh, Killface run. It's basically a – for the first nine episodes, a mockumentary following their opposing uh, presidential races with Killface as a Democrat who solved global warming – and um, and Xander Cruz, awesome X as a Republican who wants to get revenge on Killface from what happens in the first season. And I think we're not going to be able to go through the, the the superhero parody in season one. Like it's funny when you mention like, oh yeah, it's supposed to be a superhero parody or a satire or whatever. But like, it's it's not. It's I I also wrote that in my notes. Like oh, season one is a superhero parody. Season two is a political parody. 
It's that, but, but also not that at fucking all. No, I know. Like it throw. That's what I mean. Like the first season is ostensibly that, <laughs> and by season three, it throw. By episode three, it like oh, it introduced the two, and now like pretty soon they're in a weird like. Uh, some guy's a lobster who falls in love with this other person who. It's basically something to be like uh, uh, to pitch to the network, like oh, it's a show about uh, these two, so they have something to at least hang a hat on for the writers' yeah. room, maybe, or for the producers when they ask what the yeah. hell show they're funding, like <laughs> something. Well, it's really funny in the second season where they end up both finding out they can't continue with their presidential campaign. One because they're thirty-three, and the other one because they're a space alien who wasn't born in, in the United States. And they decide to go back to being a superhero show with like now all these other different super villain hero factions and people in different uh, positions of power and how much they comment on like, oh, yeah, awesome X. You haven't seen that for a while, have you? <laughs> like it. it um, yeah, it's it, so if you haven't seen the show, I'm not saying you need to rush out and watch it, but we the only way to do this for from a like we're going to try to walk you through what this fucking show is is to do an episode by episode recap and we're not going to do that it's 25 episodes it's not that long it's i think overall i think it's very much worth your time overall even if i will say first season is a shakier than i remembered but um with that peter why don't you talk a little bit about your uh, adam reed matt thompson adult swim experience and then uh, yeah, what was your experience watching this for the first time in 2020? Um, I won't. Okay. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's me doing some Adult Swim style comedy. <laughs> um, no. Um, you yeah. need a longer pause. <laughs> yeah, I would need more just uh, staring at you. Um, but yeah, so this is. I wasn't a big fan of C Lab because I got to it late. Um, but I'm a big fan of Archer. Um, and, and, uh, I think that that is actually more, um, that's more of a global statement than it seems. So, uh, I loved Adult Swim from the beginning because I loved the idea of challenging comedy. I love the idea of, um, taking essentially, essentially saying like, fuck you to traditional comedic structures. So, um, because we, we make these shows on the cheap, and because we use people that have maybe not as much animation or comedy writing experience, we can break the rules in a sort of punk-like or hardcore way um, and really get to the, the the nut of like what comedy is without a lot of the, the pretense. That's where it started. Yeah. That's, that's Aqua Teen. That's the first season of Frisky Dingo. That's... 100% C-Lab, like, moral, uh, Adult Swim had this, like, stage yeah. one, and that was stage one for me. Like, it was it was uh, strange non-sequiturs between, uh, you know, commercial breaks and between content blocks. It was the fact that episodes are 10 or 11 minutes long. Um, yeah. And then eventually stage two is where I see, because uh, even though they have a show that's part of stage one, which is uh, Tom Goes to the Mayor, I would say stage two is the Tim, Tim and Eric era. That is where they start funding more live action stuff. That's where the concept of Cartoon Network uh, completely uh, dissolved, and it was just a network that happened to have some animation on it. Adult Swim became like the uh, the the uh, the dark side, the flip, the, the the dark side of the moon to uh, 
to the Cartoon Network during the daytime. And they, yeah, uh, and we should say that like there's also even like a proto one with like Space Ghost Coast to Coast. Tsunami, like, yeah. Yeah, where it was like, hey, there's this weird thing. And then, yeah, there's stuff like even things that are huge we didn't mention, Peter, like uh, Venture Brothers mainly because I never ended we'll, up watching it. We'll, then, we'll, like, we'll get to Venture Brothers. It's super Okay, and then here. Robot Chicken, which I watched and then never really enjoyed all that much. Robot after, Chicken like, was oh. their flagship show along uh, that like sort of uh throughout this entire era it was like that and family guy kept kept the lights on yeah family guy and futurama reruns yeah and and then robot chicken was the one that they owned um even though futurama and uh family guy like uh, arguably i'm not looking at ratings numbers but arguably the reason that those shows had such a long life was because of adult swim um adult swim definitely breathed life oh that's 100 percent true Um, family guy was all adult swim and dvd sales which is why like this fun oddity that i used to show people like have you ever seen this show you know um became like something i fucking hate so goddamn much yeah yeah um, so um th- th- but that sort of first era is very much very much where i see season one of the show uh existing in yeah even though i'm not even talking about anthological eras i'm talking about like uh sort of uh stylistic movements and in the era one was this sort of punky hardcore rock movement where like uh, they had very little regard for um, – they, they, it seemed like, even though this is a calculated move, that they were thumbing their nose at what main Cartoon Network was doing. Um, they were saying like, oh, you gave us this, this slot nobody wanted. We're going to fill it with shit that like, you know, if parents saw what we were doing at, at midnight, they wouldn't let their kids watch what, you know, <laughs> what's on the main channel during the day. Um so yeah, that there's I see it Frisky Dingo season one and and maybe season two, but as as part of that sort of punk like movement, where at the time it was so exciting to see comedy be challenging in this way, and to be in a way where you're like, how is this on television? And then uh, the second the second era is when they were like, okay, we've made our rebellion, now we actually have to do something with it, which is where I see Frisky Dingo season two entering into, um, because yeah. it's a far more clever. Um, and it's a far more uh, uh, it's a far more adult uh, season. I had very little regard uh, in 2020 for Frisky Dingo se- season one. I, I found it pretty loathsome. Um, but season two, I was guffawing at because it showed a level of maturity and like a hey, oh wait, oh this isn't a joke anymore. If we actually like get our heads together, we can we can do something here, um, which makes yeah. the fact that it ended abruptly tragic. But it's only a half tragedy because the tone and the the direction of the, the stylistic direction that they were heading, um, they just parlayed that into Archer, which I think is uh, an even yeah. better show. Uh, yeah, agreed. Uh, I think I think uh, Archer, especially the first, I, I am behind on Archer, so I, I can only speak to what I've seen. I thought I, I thought I was closer to the. I thought I was like a season or two behind. I'm, I I only watched up to yeah. like season six, and I'm missing yeah. four or five seasons. I know I'm missing five seasons. I thought I was in season <laughs> seven too. They're short seasons uh-huh. though. So they they you know when they yeah. went over to FX, they they uh they had the movies. They they did the FX. They had the movies, so they need more time for 
Deja Vu starring Denzel Washington and less time for cartoons. So those seasons are now. You want like Dave eight Holmes episodes. to walk you behind Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes? <laughs> Great news. You got all the time in the world. Yeah. You want Archer seasons? Get in line. Yeah. So Archer also continued that thing. So what is what is Adult Swim in general? Like what what is what do you think this, the now that we've talked about it? What do you think that the sort of art movement, the comedy art movement of Adult Swim is like? What it, what characterizes it for you? Because I, I was I spent most of season one just writing down what I thought Adult Swim is now, like with a little bit of distance at this time, yeah. stage one that we're talking about, a little bit of think- Space Ghost, but before Tim and Eric really like or uh, what's it a bear? What's it a bear alone in the woods? Like all the crazy art projects they would do before that, just this like rebellion period. What do you, what do you see this as? So this is. So I see Frisky Dingo season one is like post-rebellion because it is 2006, I think. And that's like you're you're in Tim and Eric. Like they've already done Tom Goes to Mayor in like phase one. Like you have Aqua Teen that I think has already had a movie out at that point. Like, And that's another thing. Uh, like, sorry, I said earlier that but I like screamed past it. But like I, I want to point out like I'm not even saying chronological eras. I'm saying these eras overlap no. in some ways. But like the the it's like the movement uh, matured at different rates for different creators. Yeah, and I do think that this – I think season one falls into two things, which is like the idea of an adult swim show and that kind of like challenging humor and also then falls into something we've actually been talking about or talked about recently, depending on when you hear this and when it comes out um, – and we love to watch about like the Bill Mars of the world, where it also comes in that like Daniel Tosh before he has a show stand up and Louis C.K. is getting big and all these kind of sorry, I'm kind of like half taking breaths in between this. Um, uh, but all these comics or all these this time that's like you know what the most uh, let's let's cross every single guideline for comedy that we can do it is we are going to be quote-unquote dangerous and we're gonna make jokes about things that george w bush and republicans don't want us to make jokes of so we're gonna make gay jokes and and uh trans jokes and um rape jokes and like uh and racist jokes, and it's all okay because we're progressive people. Uh, I think you said it uh, perfectly in our religious episode of We Love to Watch, which is um, uh, uh, actually you said it perfectly. So why don't you say it? Um, it's the idea of you're standing on the the faces of minorities to spite regressives. So uh, yeah. the idea is that uh, by you're trying to insult uh, regressives and Republicans. Republicans and conservatives dislike for a lot of uh, minority and gay cultures by uh, by making fun of those cultures. You're actually standing on top of them to make your point. Uh, you're you're helping Republicans in a in a sort of backwards way. Yeah, it was that idea that is, is so full of shit, but I remember the idea being very prevalent at the time, which is, hey, we've accepted all of these things. And that's why, just like you can tell your, your buddy that you're best friends with and you love that he's a fucking idiot and there's not hard feelings, we're so down with black people and women and gay people and whatever else that we can just make jokes like we're all friends. Fuck you, conservatives. You hate them. You could even joke around with them. We're all in on the joke, right? And obviously, 
bullshit, not true. But that is, I think, where uh, the kind of progressive white co- male comics or writers or comic writers were when they were like pushing the envelopes, exactly what Peter says. So season one, watching it again, feels like some funny stuff. I don't want to say there's nothing that I that I didn't find funny. And it, I think in when it starts to show a little of what will become the consistent energy of season two, like we're going to be moving through plot beats really quickly in like the back half. It has some more funny moments, but it also is still mired in the both the um, that type of like, quote unquote, uh, progressive, regressive comedy. That's what we'll call it, (laughs) quote unquote, progressive, regressive comedy and early adult swim where we just challenge people to do the rake gag times a million. So uh, a good example of the 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 former is like um uh a lot of the rape jokes are like hey maybe awesome x is gay or aren't prostitutes just funny as a concept is it murdering hookers the most funny thing on con uh, on the earth yeah like that all that stuff has aged worse than milk <laughs> it's it, it like it the only like and 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 also oh also isn't the funniest thing in the world an Asian accent <laughs> like yeah. um, it's th- that stuff is it's not cons- constant but it's bad enough each time it happens where it feels like it ruins your episode like it ruins the episode so the one joke not that everything around it is hilarity but the one joke is like ah oh, god this is. That's the worst. Like, that's I might as well be watching. I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. <laughs> like, I can't. You know, this is this is what a piece of garbage. And then yeah, we the were other all part- making fun of. That's a great example. Like, we were all making fun of. I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry for being the faux progressive um, message film that actually is uh, pretty pretty homophobic. Like, a, yeah. a lot of what's in that movie is, uh, if not homophobic, then incredibly condescending to the gay community. <laughs> Yeah, and I think also part of it was that um, I could kind of – at the time, I guess I – I mean, we talked about kind of like I was I was definitely one of those people that didn't realize that what was happening there. Um, and then also like um, feeling like it was okay because everyone was a terrible char- – like no yes. one in the show is supposed to be good. So you can kind of go like, yeah, he's saying like – Awesome X uh, is saying some horrible stuff, but he's a garbage person. And I do think in season two, they found a way to make – we'll talk about that more in a sec. They did find a way to make that true while being funny. And the best example of this is It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. You go back to those earlier shows. I'm not saying they never like do something that makes you uh, roll your eyes a little. But they somehow always figured out the way to truly make the gang – assholes while not thinking that the show's creators find them both right in their funniness like it always feels like like the great example is uh the the mac stuff with um with uh the the um the trans person where like you go back and watch those and you think like oh shit a 2006 episode where where mac is like um attracted to this uh woman who is like a, a, a before any sort of surgery has removed her her um, her penis 
Um, and then he feels guilty about that. You go back and watch those, and it's actually like, oh, they got it. Like, Mac is clearly out of line. The other people in the gang are like, who cares? Like, if you like her, great. Even like, I remember there's the- a really great moment where even uh, her boyfriend at the gym is like, yeah, she's hot. What What's the problem? Yeah, she's a woman. She's a real woman. He's like, no. He's like, no, but she you know yeah they like they somehow nailed it at a time when you think about like ooh edgy like that it was edgy comedy for its time that like was able to make nazi abortion gay it always always seems to come back in the right way and i think they figure i honestly believe that they figured out that because there still is some of that like type there's still occasional rape joke and there's still an occasional like uh like racist uh joke type thing but then they figured it out they figured it out how to make the it actually be like oh no we think this sucks and it's the character that's terrible and we're gonna call it out in a way that's also funny but it's like it it figures it out in the same way that it's always sunny kind of figured it out yeah Um, and uh it's always sunny It, it also i don't know much about the writer's room here it sounds like because it's such a small staff it's like adam reed and a couple other guys um, and Matt Thompson, basically, yeah. And uh, in that small environment, you can come up with some really offensive shit. Like, I adore Wonder Shows in, but, like, some of the stuff they've came up with in, like, later seasons, I'm like, and that's a MTV2 thing, which I, we always, we it, it's worth associating with this era, but it weirdly enough has to be a footnote because it's not on Adult Swim proper. Um, yeah. But uh, it, it uh, there there was times when they're, they're progressive... Uh, tendencies would lead them down an insane path and then you have to just sit in a bit for five minutes while you're like oh this wasn't you just breaking the rules of comedy this was you people not understanding uh how uh an entire racial group works uh very cool yeah but like i love wonder shows and don't get me wrong but like i i think in a smaller writer's room that happens but in it's always sunny like it's always sunny had like a group of people that all started this this kind of project together then danny devito got involved then then a couple of execs got involved that had to be pushed out uh so they can maintain their independence and then throughout that process um they they maintain the sort of relationship where even though you know only two of them are writing an episode at a time uh they could provide feedback and make episodes better because they had like a a a loose quick moving like like flexible production style where like uh yeah this script this script page just the whole thing needs to go and then uh fucking charlie day and and his wife would go figure it out the reason why a lot of that stuff hasn't like or like I'll use Frisky Dingo like the first the first season of this uh, Frisky Dingo when there's jokes that include um, gay people or LGBTQ people it's clear that the sh- the people writing the show inherently find gay people funny like not that they're not support uh, quote unquote not that they're not supportive of their rights or their equality or stuff like that but it's kind of like the uh terribly aged Louis CK jokes that everyone most progressive people I know were, were like look how look how he talks about it <laughs> um where he would be like make jokes about how uh uh that there are some gay people that are okay to laugh at cuz they're acting silly do you remember those kind of jokes from like his shameless era? Uh, yes, I do. So 
like that's a really good example of they're making jokes about us uh, uh, that have to do with homophobia, gay people in general. First season of Frisky Dingo, Louis C.K. jokes is saying, just to be clear, I actually find these people funny and by and like literally these people. <laughs> Even if I then say I'm an asshole for thinking that or my characters are assholes, the show clearly finds the concept of gay people inherently funny. Even if you're setting up the joke with I love gay people. Here are some of my gay friends. Um, anyways, here's me doing an offensive gay accent for five minutes. Yeah. Because I've framed it as me being a progressive who votes for the exactly. right people, uh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, and and season two of Frisky Dingo and all of It's Always Sunny in that same topic and it's anytime there are those kind of jokes – it is clearly about like the fragile masculinity of its characters and not a reflection of like that gay people, quote unquote, are inherently funny. Yes, it, it, it's a it marks a considerable growth and the idea and like the little the, the few gay jokes left in it are actually incredibly funny that the, the little sight gags that anybody who is gay in the show is uh, has a, uh, a, a like deep love and fetish for this one like 70s ex-football player dash actor. Yeah. <laughs> Fred like, Dwyer. Like, yeah. It's so it's, it's such it's a good great. joke. Is it's not actually offensive. It's not leaning into any stereotypes. But I love the idea of them marking gay characters because they're all obsessed with this one football player. <laughs> Yeah, which is again, that is not like, oh, look at look at gay people. They all love Fred Dwyer. Yeah, that's you know, like how silly are they? Which is the season one version of that. It's the fact that the it's absurdism. It's uh, you know that a lot that everyone who's who's gay or bi in the show just is really into Fred Dwyer. Like they, there's a it's character a funny from joke. season one who's just supposed to be a nerd, and then they establish he's gay by showing him laying in bed talking on the phone, uh, and in the background on the wall is a Fred Dwyer poster. Like, well, and actually, it's even funnier than that because it's the concept that uh, anyone who's into Fred Dwyer. And, and therefore, at least not everyone, but the people we see on the show are gay, have made the exact same wall collage of Fred <laughs> Dwyer in their room. <laughs> Which is a great, like, it's that's, such that's a, absurdism it's without such a stepping joke. on anyone, right? And also, like, it when when one of the characters in the show announces that he's gay after uh, uh, Killface does a, a horribly offensive, like, he, just, he thinks he survives a thing and becomes like... Um, in some ways, he becomes Donald Trump. He becomes the uh, the dog whistler Republican who doesn't know how to dog whistle. And was just like, oh yeah, you know, like <laughs> you guys killed Christ. Yeah, like, the, he, like he, the, he, the weird way where he was like, he got frustrated one day when he was like very excited about Israel for a month, um, and, he, and like one day he was like, I'm gonna go after American Jews and tell them they're ungrateful for not not supporting and Israel, and they're anti-Semitic. Yeah, they're, they're, like, but American it was Jews that like anti-Semitic for. Not supporting Israel. Yeah, you're just like, like all right. That, well, yeah, I guess that's yeah, that's not dog whistling. That's um, just a that's a the bullhorning is bullhorning a word. Yeah, because the whole point is that Killface's character is incredibly unsubtle, and so when he becomes that uh, religious Republican conservative, he says the loud part, quiet, you know, yeah, uh, or the quiet part out loud. Um, yes. and that's it's very funny, and then. But what doesn't happen to a lot of Republicans is that he's uh, he's going on a tirade about gay people, 
And his son's like, hey, I'm gay. And he's like, well, yeah, any human being would recognize that there's a basic humanity. Of course, I'll, I'll, you know. And, like, that is that is funny, too. It's not funny that, like, because we know that that, unfortunately, hasn't happened in the real world. And his immediate about face with this son that he's angry with is like, sure, we fight a lot. And then he's like, and you know what? Then we got to talking and I realized, like, I haven't been that great of a father and he's a really interesting boy. And it's not played as a joke. It's just a joke because the character itself, that reaction feels human in a way that this weird space alien has never displayed. But it's not like the concept of recognizing the basic humanity of LGBTQ people is uh, is made into a joke. So. The second thing that's where I mentioned that season one doesn't work yeah, is it leans too heavily into that, like, bizarro thing. Yes, right? yes. I, the, by dropping all – sometimes the, they, the, the, the Adult Swim stuff of this first era, let's say, yep. um, is it, it drops all pretense. It often sounds unwritten or almost like improv, despite the fact that yeah. animation, even crappy animation. So that's another thing is because of the low cost and the intentional crumminess. Like uh, uh, this show, Aqua Teen in particular, Tom Goes to the Mayor, Tim and Eric, like they lean into the crappy C-Lab, aesthetic. Yeah. Like the cheap. Harvey, Harvey Birdman. Yes. Yeah. The cheapness. Uh, even if they get, you know, they have a- even the animated stuff where they can draw whatever fantastic worldscapes they want. Um, you know, like Venture Brothers does. Venture Brothers animation is gorgeous and they do go to like strange like space stations and, and uh, you know, uh, going to uh, 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 military bases and science labs. Like they, they beautifully animate that stuff. Most Adult Swim stuff um, is is essentially like. Let's make this look shitty and cheap, but also lean in the shitty and cheapness. Like the fact that the finale of season two, I don't even know if you call it a finale, but like the big climactic moment where all the characters come together uh, happens uh, in a motel. (laughs) It's like so funny to me because like they're trying to they're basically saying like, well, we're not doing like then we're not doing like a high cost Pixar Miyazaki level animation. What we're doing here is we're making a cheap show that's a joke delivery device and having this sort of improv y, uh, quote unquote, unwritten quality um, and having characters that almost sound off guard is very interesting. Like, the, yeah. because when you're watching a movie, um, Nine times out of ten, characters will react within seconds in a perfect line reading that extrapolates what their character is in that line reading, right? Like, and that's usually what we're used to with comedies. Like, people just react with the perfect line reading um, and the the perfect sort of jokey reaction, right? Because it's written and it's supposed to sound written and that's the charm. One of Adult Swim's uh, rebellions was to say, like, what if we made it sound more casual dialogue, but also we could lean into these high concept weirderies yeah. and we could go anywhere in any given episode. It's about a plot to push the, the earth into the sun, but uh, the, the characters are, spend most of their time arguing in a kitchen. <laughs> Yeah, and the the other thing that Adult Swim I think did is 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 why I called it like the rake gag times a million, which is hey, the rake gag was really funny because he kept hitting rakes and then it you know, it was funny the first and the second time, 
And then it became not funny. And then, um, you know, it became funny again by how long they were dragging it out. You watch that. It's still only 30 seconds of the episode. And what Adult Swim, I think, did was let's do that and either like let's never stop hitting the rakes, right? Like if it's like if that Simpsons episode had been him going, I'm going to kill Bart. He steps on a rake and then literally steps on rakes for five more minutes. And then the episode ends with them like driving home because he's still getting rakes. And it's like. That is the Adult Swim version. I think they took that, like, patience test as comedy and made it an art form, sometimes successfully, sometimes not. So you have, again, an episode with the people from the Bizarro universe that only shout Bizarro, and it's uh, not cool. It's just annoying. And, like, I think that episode is hilarious. C-Lab 2021 also did one of my favorite things ever. Um, which is and because it was so surprising when I first saw it until I finally got what they were doing. So Sea Lab 2021 and a lot of early Adult Swim because they had access to the Hanna Barbera Library, they had the rights to it. There's a reason like Harvey Birdman like is a lawyer who's uh, defending uh, Scooby Doo and Fred Flint, F- Fred Flintstone stuff because they could do that from a rights perspective. Same thing with Space Goes Coast to Coast. Um, and C Lab twenty twenty or twenty twenty one was based on a small twenty twenty. Uh, uh, sorry, C Lab twenty twenty one was based on a Hanna Barbera adventure show from the seventies that lasted like ten episodes called C Lab twenty twenty. They all of a sudden in the second season of that they just show an episode of C Lab twenty twenty and that's the episode. And the joke is that there's no jokes ever through it, and you keep expecting it to take a turn into something weird, and then all of a sudden you realize you're just watching a ten minute version of a C Lab twenty twenty episode. Yeah, and then uh, another one, Wonder Shows, and did it. I, I'm just uh, which which was the Patience episode. Patience, Patience. Yep, where Patience. The, <laughs> where they show an episode. And then they decide the episode is shit. We need to start over. And then they rewind it. They show it in reverse in real time for the next 20 or the next 12 minutes. And every time you keep thinking, well, at some point they're going to cut out of this. This is an extended gag and they don't. (laughs) You get the sense that almost they didn't watch it. (laughs) Yeah. Where you watch it once, you get the joke. And those are extreme examples of this of this particular uh, type of comedy um, that are memorable for those reasons. But I think a lot of Adult Swim was let's take that concept and keep extending that annoyance until it gets funny and see how long we can keep it funny. Um, whether it's two minutes, three minutes, an entire episode worth of stuff. And I think they had mined that really well in that phase one of – uh, of of Adult Swim. And so when you get to this and they're telling a story that's not based on individual episodes, but instead kind of a plot, a continuity that goes through an entire season, which was very new to Adult Swim, uh, besides, I guess, Vent- Venture Brothers, um, that uh, it just didn't work. And they didn't have anything interesting to do with it anymore. So you have these episodes where like the joke is that Killface goes on a talk show for 10 minutes and they keep shouting uh, Dodge Cyan. And it's not like it's not somewhat amusing. Like, it's like, all right, I get what they're doing here. Um, but it's not, like, funny. And it's not anything more clever that 
these people didn't do by showing an episode of C-Lab 2020 instead of C-Lab 2021 for their season. Yeah. So, so I think those are the two things that really hold it back. So here's my, I have another, <clears throat> I have another two things that kind of hold me back from uh, fully, fully loving this era at times and why I've yeah. always been someone who's watched a lot of Aqua Teen, but like is actually not that attached to it. Uh, in any emotional yeah, me, one. Actually, me too, for that matter. Like, I I, I preferred C-Lab. Yeah, it, it, so C-Lab at least had something approaching characters in Aqua Teen. Like, I just never got attached to anyone. So, uh, real quickly, one of the things that uh, these shows have is that there's sort of a high-concept weirdery that is kind of best delivered in short segments so it doesn't wear on yeah. you. Like, I, I, I would... When I was catching up on Tim and Eric, I remember it would, like, melt my brain trying to watch an entire season at once. Um, yeah. And, like, these shows are kind of best experienced, these, like, 10-minute snippets. And there's there's reason for that, like, in terms of uh, deliverance. But it's also, like, there's some – there's some – there is some sort of uh, – punky trolly stuff going on depending on which which access you 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 see this stuff as where imagine you tuning in for your show on live tv you don't have tivo live tv you tune in for your frisky dingo that week or you tune into your wonder shows in for that week and you yeah. only get certain amount of time if it's Frisky Dingo or it's an Aqua Teen episode or whatever. And it's a joke episode that's just intended to troll you. Like yeah, it's a joke on you. Yeah, yeah. Like imagine that feeling. Like I watched Patience uh, live because I caught up. That was a season two episode and I caught up on Wonder Shows in and I was like, I got to watch this. I got to watch this. And it was yeah. it was such a confounding feeling because it, for I knew what they were doing, but I was still like... <laughs> Well, I'm going to sit here and see if there's any anything else comes out of this. And then I think they play. I don't know if it's that episode or the last episode where they play like a beautiful Nico Mooley uh, uh, piece while a camera pans over New York. Because I think they like spent their if I recall correctly, they spent their budget that they would have spent on the episode on a camera, a a camera shot of New York. <laughs> so they play this beautiful song and then they they show this beautiful shot after this horrific episode in anti-comedy, right? So that's one thing. Yeah. Another thing is um Adult Swim is super flexible with their creators, which also means like um shows get canceled quickly if they're like nobody is interested in them or the creators think like they've sort of hit it or the execs think they've hit a dead road because like at the end of the day like uh Yes, these shows have uh, these shows have, are operating a dead end time slot, and they're very cheap to produce. But like they they yeah. do they do want people to watch the network. Um, so the, yeah, so let's talk about the two things. Uh, let me let me talk about the two things that I I, I have problems with these shows of this era, and um, I'm not really sure why Frisky Dingo two I loved so much um, because I don't think it delivers on these. One, sometimes when they're so punky and they so betray structure, they forget that we need good characters. Yeah. Um, I don't need good plots, to be honest. Like, that's something I let go a, a, a long time ago. But I do need characters. Like, I need characters I care about and I feel like are distinct. And sometimes on these Adult Swim shows and in season one of this show in particular, there's a sort of 
sameness of characters where they all sort of react emotionally to the same stuff and they all very distinct voices like killer mike voices a guy in the show but like they all he did all the music too yes and they all have similar like they all have similar references and like i i don't feel like there's strong characters in season one and then season two they start to develop strong characters and then i'm on board two and this is another reason the 10 minute format helps too much cynicism really wears on me, like cynical, uh, cynical comedy where every character is an asshole. Every joke is uh, edgy or brushing up on, uh, you know, offensive does wear mm-hmm. on me eventually. Like I, I can only take so much of that before I need like a, a mix of things, which is another reason Tim and Eric is so cool because Tim and Eric will give you a straight up like almost Simpsons style satiric gag and then something that's the most absurd shit you've ever seen back to back. Like they vary comedy styles so it doesn't feel cynical. Um, mm-hmm. The show can feel cynical and cruel at times um, and sometimes I lose track of the characters but there's really good joke writing in season two so it, it drags me through and wh- I wanted to talk about Venture Brothers a little bit which is a show that I haven't even finished and the reason I didn't finish it is because I think they draw characters really, really well on that show. But the sort of adult swim cynicism, the sort of like nihilism, like darkness, uh, really wore on me because I really like ended up caring about each and every character and want them all to be happy and like end up not in this constant conflict with their own depression, but also these sort of like, um, (laughs) they're all going on these strange adventures almost to uh distract them from their pain mm-hmm. um and like i love venture brothers on a top level because I, I admire the show a lot it's gorgeous to look at the music's great like the the animation's amazing the characters are so well drawn but like mixed in with all the other adult swim stuff i actually think the show suffers because like the level of darkness and cynicism is something i need to like separate and enjoy on its own yeah, and I think I, I agree with you, which is why like I didn't have as much um I didn't like Aqua Teen as much because mm-hmm. I think Carl is a very uh, abrasive character and Shake is just like the sadness of Carl combined with the complete um psychoticness of Shake every single goddamn episode like it's why i enjoyed having the season two and season three dvd set and then like never got season four right because it's like i got it like i th- I did go see the movie and didn't like it at all in theaters and i just and i remember when they were doing like we're gonna change the name but like yeah it just it there's only so much you can do with that i actually i do disagree a little bit just because in that um I do think these people are in generally quote unquote bad people, which is their but I, I think they're they're not predictably bad every time and I, I the reason I liked C Lab and the reason I liked Frisky Dingo is that like Shake is just a sociopath who's gonna do the wrong thing every time. And I think there is a a, a good establishment of characters on both of those shows that um, have a level of inconsistency that makes it funny. Now, again, Frisky Dingo, I think, 
hit the home run in that area on season two. But um, the fact that so many of its characters go through these different cycles and become funny and really the only like – there's like one shake character in Frisky Dingo season two and he ends up being funny. And again, it also is great about because – the department guy? Wendell. Yeah. Wendell is a triumph of character. Wendell is is the most disgustingly vile person that I've seen in yeah. one of these comedies in a long time. Wendell Wendell becomes a white supremacist just just to sell drugs or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yep. Um, and and then he, like at the end with the giant ant baby is like, oh god, oh I'm so sorry, I disgust myself. You're a, basically a baby as this giant ant monster destroys because uh, he has to take his pants Wendell off. In the sense that Wendell's he's so the good. most loathsome thing I've I think I've seen on TV in a while. <laughs> but I think he's the only one like that really hits that and. Frisky Dingo's good because it has all these characters. It really is like it has like 20 characters. And yeah, some are more interesting than others. But um I'm glad it, they started murdering characters as the show went on cuz you're just like, yeah, this, this you know, the character did reach the end of the 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 crab guy bit is not funny. It wasn't funny the whole season but, too. But but I actually think well so they bring the crab guy in at the very end of season 2. Um, and actually, I think that is funny in season one, just how, like, oh, shit, he keeps progressing. Like, this attempt to make a new supervillain to make toys is very funny to me. And, like, there is season one stuff. I love the boy, like, when the board is just other versions of him who say how rumpf, and they're like, I don't know what you got going on with the whole boys from Brazil thing <laughs> in there. Like, there's funny jokes in season one. It's overshadowed by everything I said. Season two finds the balance better. But one of my favorite jokes of the whole thing is like, so the lobster guy comes back near the end of season two. They He ends up accidentally tying. And the Exticles, who are pretty consistently funny, in my opinion. Um, oh, yeah. The Exticles are really good in season two. And especially like how nihilist at times they, they are towards each other. Because uh, it's season one. So, so that's like the thing. Like we're talking about like season one is not like a. In my opinion, not like a complete wash. Any season that has the um, the remote helmet gag that goes on for that episode, that's season one. It's so good. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, remind me. There's a lot of crazy shit that so, goes on uh, in the show. Yeah, I, I know. It's only 25 episodes, but it's got a lot. So there's a – the um, what's his name? Uh, the – Xander Xander Cruz is like uh, president of the company, but he at some point during season one is like fake Xander Cruz death so that he can take over his billions and he pretends to the Exicles to be the awesome ex. And he's like, and it, I love how gullible the, the Exicles are at everything. It's a very consistently funny joke. They're not evil. They just will believe the last person who told them anything, uh, which is, again, funny and they're always go into that with enthusiasm so he says unless you find xander cruz and kill him there's a bomb in each of your helmets or that's going to go off or in your yeah and that your helmets which are implanted it's going to go off every hour and they keep having incidents where because they get distracted by making pottery or something else that they don't take that as seriously even why yeah the nihilism of like people's heads blowing off and then one of the cruelest but still funniest jokes ever is the um hey uh 
um, where like he's like we gotta we gotta solve we gotta find Xander Cruz. I'm missing my son's uh, piano recital, and it shows his kids having Exticles helmets at the piano recital, and then it flashes back to him and goes, "Does your kids have a?" have Exticles helmets and then it flashes back to uh, the audience of the five-year-olds with the helmets piano recital being sp- uh, splashed in blood <laughs> <laughs> yes 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 the show the show that's that's the thing we're like if they think that uh, we live that we're living in a universe in in frisky dingo we're living in a universe where most of the characters want to destroy the world. Uh, Xander Cruz doesn't want to destroy the world because he wants to continue to fuck it. Um, other than that, pretty much everybody wants to either strip mine the earth or completely destroy it. I don't think, well, no, because uh, so much of, because uh, even Killface stops wanting to destroy the earth for a while. Like, because now he's 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 getting wealth and fame and a bunch of other stuff. Like it's actually like he he makes that murder machine, and then part of the fun of season two is like at various points, various characters decide they need to destroy the world, and then once their particular motivation stops, then it's like then they try to stop someone else from doing it or getting the the components to do it. So and that's I, that, yeah yeah that's what's fun about the show in season two is that like you're realizing there's a sort of pattern here that that Xander Cruz and Killface are kind of the same person in many ways. Um, it's just that Killface is a slightly maybe a slightly better person. I don't know, um, but uh, that the, and and them getting along and being buddies like totally makes sense and that at some point um in both seasons they like become friends for a little bit and you're like yeah this makes sense like you're both you're both just adult swim adults where you're like for some reason you are you it's like you dropped in a uh a uh arrested development 22 year old i don't mean i mean like lowercase arrested development uh arrested development 22 year old into the uh the the soul of a billionaire and uh a a a alien who wants to destroy the earth (laughs) yeah and even that um yeah, the reason why Xander Cruz is worse, I think you can just speak to their kids, which is, like, he is a shitty father who sometimes tries to be a good father, and then, like, when he needs his kid needs him, he's like, oh, yeah, I was there for him. And then Xander Cruz meets his daughter <laughs> near the end of season two, and it's very, very funny. And also just shows how he really is a complete, selfish, amoral sociopath, but in a in a somewhat chaotic way i do both seasons do this where it understands how complicated its plots are getting and makes a specific point to dismiss plots that will that are just complicating the show too much by killing off or just ignoring the plots um i really hate normal in season one the only funny part about that is when the guy when the exical walks up to kill him He's like, look, we can't do an evil twin thing. There's way too many threads already. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And the same thing with like the long lost daughter, like the second to last episode where he's like, all right, well, bye. (laughs) I love that. I love that he pays off his daughter just to go away. And then uh, he's about to you think he's about to have a moment of sweetness with her. And like the, the show pauses and I'm like, oh, the show has been growing. Like the characters have been like going on weird paths forward um and then he does an archer thing where he's like i can't remember so i guess bye (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah 
Uh, yeah. And that's, that's sort of like, the Archer thing as well. Like he's an alcoholic, depressed person who never had a true father figure. And he just keeps he just keeps rediscovering new depths to his his sadness. Um, and so, yeah. like, in a weird Xander Cruz is very much a proto uh, proto Archer, proto Archer yeah. though, I think also because, you know, he's a proto Archer. But also because, like, you know, Archer had many seasons and far more time. Eight, eight episodes times 30 minutes. Archer got to be a fully developed character pretty quickly. Um, and that sort of, like, uh, toxic toxic masculinity thing masking a deep, deep pain and how pathetic that pain is and how pathetic he can be. And how, like, his alcoholism is just, like... Uh, he, he, he's 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 the only reason he's a functional alcoholic is because he's for some reason an amazing spy. Um, so like so he just stumbles into he just stumbles through life over and over and over again the way like a functional alcoholic would, and that sort of um, hiding of his own pain and moments where he has moments of growth and reveal and like he tries he tries so hard to like be a good father. Be a good husband, or be a good wife, or be a, sorry, be a good boyfriend, and then uh, it all just comes crashing down on him because he lives in a cynical, awful world. Is like that's why I got att- attached to Sterling Archer, um, and I think that if Frisky Dingo had gone on longer, I would have been attached to Xander Cruz, despite the fact that both characters are hideously disgusting. <laughs> Well, so I think what's interesting about that, if you don't mind, I can put a bow on this, at least from my perspective. Yeah, let's do it. Um, So I think that actually highlights the big difference between the two, because I agree 100 percent that uh, that Xander Cruz is a proto archer and a lot of the way that they use the side characters on on Frisky Dingo, I think, is a proto to how big that universe becomes, even if they dial down the craziness. But I think there, what's the big difference between Sterling Archer and Xander Cruz? Sterling Archer is has a job that he needs because to pay for his lifestyle. Where Xander Cruz is a uh, has twenty billion dollars and has uh, no no job that he needs to do at all. So I think if anything, what we're seeing here, Peter, is that uh, the contrast between. Uh, why sometimes Archer feels like he needs to have a moral compass or something like that is connected to the fact that he is not a uh, soulless billionaire uh, who does never has to grow or meet people on their level as an other human beings because he can always kill people and buy new friends or get out of situations or anything else. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of a goofy way to end it. But uh, I do think... Uh, that's that. That is a big difference between Xander Cruz, right? Like he has all the money in the world. He never has to answer for anything if he doesn't want to. When the show is really funny, it's him having to answer for things because he clearly never has to. And part of the comedy comes from him being so out of touch with reality and the real world and what everyone else goes through that he literally uh, can't seem to figure out the right like human words. To comprehend a situation, uh, where Sterling Archer, I think, is is a honing of that, where it's okay, like he still makes money and he drives a nice car and he has a cool job like a spy. And he at least has moments where but, he's like, um, "Yeah, I'm really sad. Maybe trying to be a good person will make me less sad." Yeah, like he ha- he understands the cons. 
he understands how other people feel even if he doesn't care about their feelings, which is different than literally being so far on another planet because you've covered yourselves in money and gotten rid of anyone who disagrees with you that, like, you literally can't understand what anyone else uh, what anyone thinks or feels uh, in that kind of alienating and bubble way. So I I think that the, both shows figure out ways to mine comedies from those types of characters, but that is the difference between Xander Cruz and Sterling Archer. Um, and yeah, ultimately one has a longer career that you can actually kind of poke around and dive deep in and get to know and show a few different sides where ultimately, like, I don't know, maybe they were going to do something with the backstory of his parents getting murdered, but he would have only reacted in the same way that he always does, which is how does this affect me and my money? <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, yeah. So Peter, I, like I said, I, I think, uh, it's probably gonna be a long time before I watch Frisky Dingo season one. It does have the problem of Frisky Singo, Frisky Dingo season two is only makes any sense. If you've seen season one, <laughs> Like, it'd be a hard show to go, like, it's not like The Office, where you're like, you can skip season one, you'll get it. Yeah, yeah, I feel like you could maybe watch a five-minute recap or something, but also the whole first season is ten-minute episodes, so it's like, mm, you know, maybe just devote the devote the uh, the hour plus to watching it and knocking it out of the way and, and make making sure you actually understand who these characters are. I, I This started out, I think, as... It, 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 unintentional fuck you because I really yeah. did not like season one and I was like what is this edgelord bullshit uh, and then I get you know I get a few chuckles every couple episodes um, but then season two kicked in and it had this self-assurance and this this need to need to pull it all together this need to say okay we created a lot of disparate elements and a lot of just um punky energies last season let's try and make something here um and that's yeah. why season two is like three stars better than season one yeah no it's when i was because i rewatched it too um there was a part like halfway through season one where i'm like fuck did i just tell him that like eddie murphy raw is the best stand-up of all time <laughs> and i made him watch it without like addressing because i forgot all the terrible parts about it um so I was it, it, I was really happy when uh, season two kicked in. I'm like, okay, yep, uh, I got it. I know why I keep leaving this show feeling like it ended too soon and it's one of the best things I've ever seen or funniest things I've ever seen that came out of Adult Swim. Uh, like that season two matched my why I've been someone who who constantly thinks about rewatching it and has uh, shown it to a, or recommended it to a couple people. I mean, not everyone, because I'm not a lunatic. I'm not going around the world recommending adult swim shows to people. I think Peter. it's worth, worth you the can't experiment. can't do that. Because if I watch yeah. something that I was really fond of from this era and I had seen, like, I would have a little bit of a nostalgia goggles. Not a lot, but a little bit of a nostalgia goggles because I would know what would come from it. If it's a Tim and Eric show and, you know, there's a, yeah. there's a million things following it, I would have, like, a sort of... Uh, 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 you know, a later affinity, and I could see it as like a dark star for John Carpenter's career. Where I'm like, you know, this isn't yeah. that great, but you know, this is this is leading, this is directly leading into the stuff that I really do love, and I watch all the time. Um, watching something I hadn't seen before actually gave me a lot of perspective on what this era was, which yeah. is some, an era that, like, this is very easy to say, but very hard to prove. 
uh, an era that I think will be like very notable in sort of pop culture history, like the 2000s uh, uh, Adult Swim comedy boom, because like Adult Swim literally like created a sort of YouTube style format. Yeah. And then people stole it and made made movies and shows and whatever even cheaper. Largely yeah. worse than Adult Swim was. There are a couple things yeah. that are just like insanely good on YouTube, but most most shit, the most comedy videos I've seen on YouTube are uh, utterly trash. Um, and then uh, Adult Swim was like, okay, what we're going to do to counteract that is to continue to make uh, short, interesting, uh, you know, short, interesting products. And we're going to put them out on YouTube with ads and on our website with ads and make sure people can get them wherever they want to see them. Uh, and then we're going to serve them ads and we're still going to make our buck on all this. Like almost tr- they transitioned into a funnier die or whatever, while still yeah. being a network that in 2020 be operating the late night slot on comedy central has not gotten any more valuable. No, so like, it's not I like st- they're, they're going to get canceled there and become a, a website. They, they can operate in yeah. both, which is amazing. Yeah, and I think Adult Swim has continued to be like every once in a while it produces a, a hit. Every once in a while it produces a show that you like are going around and recommending to your friends. And then a lot of stuff that just is Aqua Teen Hunger Force, which is it's enjoyable for a couple episodes, but it eventually grates on you because it's it's trying too hard to be absurdist or is trying too hard to do the rate gag or whatever else they're doing. Like even by creators I like, like, I don't know how you feel about the heart she holler, Peter. Uh, yeah. I, I, I really like season one and then season two I fell off of. Yeah, exactly. Where it's like, man, I really want to love this show. And it just, it's not, it's not wonder chosen. It, uh, it's missing, it's missing something that, or maybe it's too much like wonder chosen. It, that didn't translate well seven or eight years later after <laughs> seven or eight years of wonder chosen copy. You know, you know yeah, what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just, it's, I'm just it's thinking tough. of it heart sheet holler in the first episode, which is like a true triumph. Uh, Pat Oswald's character goes something. He's like, I guess you could say my walnut consumption's a tad astronomical. <laughs> Yeah, Pat Oswalt's very good. Uh, Harshie uh, Holler was promising to be the the weird show that was going to bring together Adult Swim and Twin Peaks, and then it didn't yeah. do it, which is did not an, an amazing promise to 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 make to people. But this episode one of Harshie Holler promises the best show of all time, and then you're like, <laughs> eh, it's kind of funny. Yeah, there's and there's so many shows like that now on Adult Swim. Like it's it's yeah, it's it's funny, but it's not. Um, it's not changing or inspiring a new type of comedy the way I do feel like the Adult Swim for better and worse was in the in the early two thousands. It's just built off that, so you know the stuff that's that has a sound foundation is built well is funny, and the stuff that's not is like yeah, this isn't in the same way. Uh, I mean, it's no different than other forms of comedy, right? Like you know, there's sitcoms that are like oh, this is a very funny sitcom, and there's sitcoms that are like oh, this is a sitcom. That forgot to do funny jokes and good characters. Like, anyway, uh, yeah, Peter, what do you got for me for next time? I uh, no, I I'm trying to switch formats here, trying to make sure that I uh, I keep it fresh. Um, so what I'm gonna do is actually recommend another podcast. Um, so there's a podcast called SCP Archives. 
Secure, contain, protect. That's just uh, dramatic readings of SCP archive stuff. Uh, have you read or seen any SCP archive stuff? No, only what you've told me. So you're you're definitely going to have to text me exactly what I need to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's three <laughs> episodes I'm going to have you listen to. They're short. Um, this sh- this with research shouldn't take you more than ninety minutes. Um, so there's uh, there's two episodes that are on this cosmic horror Lovecraftian arc. And I'm not talking about tentacular sort of uh, Cthulhu beasts. I'm talking about like their interpretation of a true cosmic threat that's so much bigger than us that we'll never understand. And here's all the weird steps that are the smartest scientists in the world tried to do just to hold off the threat for another 10 minutes. Um, so those two episodes are SCP-231 and 231-7. And then I'll, I'll send you yeah. those numbers as well. And then I actually think you shouldn't start with that. What I think you should do is Great. for an intro, you should start with the one that's just a one-off. It's fun. It's just a cool little like a creepy horror story and it's a classic. Uh, it's called 1981-Reagan Cut Up. Okay. Um, and you'll love, I think you'll love all of it for different reasons. But I wanted to do both an intro one that's just kind of like a, let's focus on this nugget of an idea and uh, get you into the idea of these uh, this SCP website. Um, and then we'll do two that's like the shit that I actually have been bullying you to, to listen to for the past year or so. Uh, and it's there's a the, the podcast is called SCP Archives. Again, it's just readings of the SCP website um, articles. But I want you to listen to the podcast version because the podcast version also selects like what they think is the most dramatic telling of the story. Because sometimes the website has variations on the story. So let's just keep it simple. Listen to the, the these three episodes and uh, let me know what you think. Sure. Like in what format? Do you want me to send you a text after I check them out or do you want to record an episode or what do you think? Uh, well, considering we're we're recording this right now, I feel like we should maybe do it also on recording. Oh, great idea, Peter. That's how we can have a next episode. Yes. I like where your head's at. Yes. Sure. We can end there. <laughs> the dumbest fucking thing in the world. Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand and you want to support the show show we truly absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on itunes i know every podcast says it and it's because it really does help and so every podcast wants that help so please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically they hopefully want to tune in and listen and thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years uh we really do appreciate you uh with kisses and smooches peter and aaron (laughs)